Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. The Leadership Learns podcast brings you inspiring stories from diverse global leaders from a range of different organizations and industries on how they innovate and improve to become the best possible leader. With me today is James Chu, CEO of Vatic Investments. The word Vatic means to describe or predict what will happen in the future, and that's exactly what is part of their journey by bringing together traders, AI researchers, and technologists to collaborate and develop autonomous trading agents and cutting-edge technology. James founded Vatic in 2014 and prides himself on hiring the best mathematicians and physicists, having assembled a leadership team from some of the biggest names in finance, and I know they have some really exciting expansion plans over the years coming up. James, welcome. How are you? And let's kick off with that question. Uh, how are things for you guys at the moment? Great. Um, thanks, Peter, for um, inviting me. Um, things have been very good. Uh, we're in the growth phase and a lot of exciting building projects that we're working on right now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into where you guys are currently and, and what the future is going to be beholden to, because it certainly sounds like a, 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 gr- a great time. Let's talk about the thing that unites everyone. We want to have a bit of context. The way we would like to start is have a conversation around what things were like for Vatic when this pandemic kicked off. Everyone was affected and every business was affected in different ways. There were lots of largely technology businesses that were largely remote even before the pandemic kicked off. So actually, hadn't been affected too much. There were others where they had to change their entire business model. Then we'll go into, of course, talking about how you got to where you get to. But let's start with that first question, Jim. When this pandemic kicked off, how were you guys affected? We were actually early in preparing for the pandemic. Like Once it hit Italy, we knew it was a matter of time before it hit us. So fortunately, like our culture of you know having flexible work-life balance and people working from home really prepared us for that. For example, like we've had Zoom and, and we've embraced Zoom well before the pandemic. So every person here has an iPad on their desk with Zoom up. So um, someone from home might just feel like they're just right next to their colleagues in the office. Um, they'll hear what's going on in the office. So yeah, so the adjustment was uh, pretty good for us. Nice, good. Um, and in relation to your workforce as well, Jim, because I think it's nice for context, were you, what kind of percentage were you guys remote or hybrid before the pandemic? What are you now? And, and is all of your workforce US-based or do you have kind of a spread of employees? Yeah, we're, we're US-based. Um, there are a few employees in out-of-state and then they'll travel in um, every other week or every third week. And then people here, uh, some, especially the ones with the family, they'll be in the office three to four days a week, and then the rest uh, at home. So obviously with the pandemic, those home time numbers have increased. Absolutely. Um, and, and let's do a bit of context putting, Jim. Where you've got to today, what you started at college compared to that progression, I think it's always fascinating to know how someone got into the role that they're doing now. Just give us a bit of an overview of what you've got to, where you have done but today, Jim. So yeah, in, in high school, um, I actually participated in a stock market tournament and I grew up in Chicago, Illinois, and um, there was 4,000 people, and it was for my e-kind class, and I won first place um, trading the stock market. And that got me uh, very interested into the markets. And in college, um, I invested during the dot-com times and lost a lot and really thought it was a great lesson for you know someone 20 years old to go through one of the biggest busts, a boom and bust. And, you know, I vowed to myself that I won't get caught in another bubble and um, one day make 100 times what I've lost. So Chicago is a big trading hub for futures market. And 
after college, I went to the futures industry and traded and, um, you know, took me about five, six years to really get to an opportunity where I can build my own team and, um, you know, became a significant part of the marketplace for a span of almost five years was, you know, the largest participant in some of the major uh, futures products. And then after that, I really was looking for the next step. And I saw that the industry was like, you know, had a reputation of being very secretive. And this was like 2013. And that's when I uh, left my former firm and started Vatic. I wanted to build something that was collaborative. And yeah, so like the, the, the goal was to build something special where, you know, smart people can just come together and work on hard problems together and not compete against each other. So, so yes, so that's been the vision since day one of Vatic. I'm always fascinated from when we started our business in 2008. I, I, I would never say that we had probably a, a large end goal in mind. I'd say that the way that we're going to get to, I always imagined it scaling. I always imagined us being able to have a, glo- a, a global reach and be a global partner for clients. But the way that we're going to have got there, the tactics that we've employed certainly has taken some amending and, uh, and, and, and regular looking at over the years. How much has the vision of Vatic changed since it started, Jim? Has that been something that's been continually looked at? Has it been the same since day one? Just talk us through that journey. Uh, honestly, like it's, it's shocking to me. Um, it's really been the same since day one in terms of location and expansion plan. Yeah, that, I, I think that's what's been exciting and motivating because like the vision was so clear. And, and I think because of that vision, I think we've been able to attract very talented individuals that I really am um, so honored to work with. You guys being based out the US, the sectors that you're in, it, it's got to be one of the most highly competitive places for talent on the planet, really. you looking at some of the leadership figures that you've attracted to the business from some of the world's largest players in the industry. That's no easy place to be as a startup because quite simply, there's a lot of options for some of the smartest people. Just give me a, an initial overview because a number of elements that I want to pick through this with you, Jim, because uh, some of the things mentioned, even on your guys' website, in looking for talent but with almost ego left at the door is, is, is a fascinating thing that we can get a little bit more into. How have you gone about building the team at Vatic? What core principles have you tried to you know, uh, uh, stay true to? I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The industry is extremely competitive and, and there's many great companies to, to join. And, and that was really the phase one problem that we try to solve. You know, we don't have unlimited capital like the bigger firms. And so we had to be creative and really like build a company that is attractive, not just by the uh, financial reward. I mean, we're very competitive in that space as well. So like, you know, all being equal, we, we, we need to distinguish ourselves. And really, it's a very rewarding industry. That's why it's so competitive. And there's more to that, right? And people want to come into an environment where they're really having fun, having fun with the work they do and who they do it with. So yeah, so like we, it, you know, it's very collegial. Um, I've always admired Goldman's partnership setup, and and that's what we we strive for. And it's it's we have many partners, and and yeah, so like the principle of like low ego, um, because in terms of a collaborative environment, you have to be low ego, have a low ego. And, and it kind of goes hand in hand with open mindedness. And, and yeah, so th- 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 those work very well. Uh, th- actually, those are the key ingredients to 
collaborative environment. And I think we've been very disciplined about that. And I think to get to where we are today, it requires a lot of discipline, making the hard choices and, and really believe in long-term gratification versus, you know, short-term wins. <laughs> I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, the phrase "long term" in the finance world aren't often uh, often found in the same sentence, Jim. Are they? I think uh, "short term wins and gains" is a is a phrase that I read about an awful lot. And um, yeah, long term, we'll, we'll come back to talk about that. There were about three or four things that I'd love to talk a little bit more about. Now, you you guys started in 2014, undoubtedly, and one of the things that I've uh, I've really enjoyed with doing the pod this year has been the fact that people have have been really candid in relation to some of the things that they got wrong that they've learned. And that they've now put right. And one of the things that I know that we did for way too many years is hire just too many of the similar people, similar backgrounds, similar approaches, similar personalities. And actually, whilst it was good fun at points, it was never going to be where the business was needing to be to be able to take it to that global potential. Now, what have been some of the biggest learns that you've gone through, Jim, on trying to attract the best talent since you started out in 2014? Yeah, I mean, to your point, like, you know, as humans, um, you know, we really value the people who are like us the most. So that's self-awareness. Like if we talk about the meta level, so we're very big on first principles. So like, what is the first principle of like solving the problem of getting the right talent, building the right team? And that's really like self-awareness, um, knowing our tendency. So knowing that we really have to ask critical questions on, you know, why do we like this person so much? And what if we're wrong? And uh, we're big believers of diversity. So like with that, we pay so much attention to finding people from different backgrounds. And we have a diverse set of people so that they come, they bring different stuff to the table because, you know, I think of it as like a big puzzle and each one of those, you know, fit a different piece, is a different piece to the puzzle. So has that been a specific tactic that you and the leadership guys have measurables in place for that you, before each hire, you're talking about where they actually fit in from a diversity perspective, Jim, how does that manifest itself with your hiring process? We have this internally, this part of our process where every quarter we would try to hire a candidate that is, that doesn't really fit our ordinary process. And, you know, we would obviously like pick the ones that going back, like fit our culture very well. So we don't think it's a high risk. So in terms of like the personality, we're not taking risks there, but in terms of the experience and background, the, the, the things that we normally look for. And I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that I feel like we've really learned from our hard lessons. And the beauty of like lessons, hard lessons is that it really shines a light on like what you don't want. And then you could focus really on what you want. So without the hard lessons, I think we, it, it wouldn't be so clear on what we want. So it's kind of like the inverse thinking concept. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you completely in relation to hard learns. My process tends to be I'm incredibly self-critical for a period of time. And then you have that thing of going, right, <laughs> so this can never happen again. What are we going to do about it? And that goes from hiring to other uh, other lessons as well. But yeah, I think, uh, and all those things. And and let's talk then uh, about, because there'll be lots of people thinking, yeah, do you know what? It would be nice to get some different people. There, there's that constant battle between cultural contribution and cultural fit, Jim. Where do you guys sit in relation to that balance? Because it, it isn't an exact science, is it? So funny that you bring that up. So like... I mean, we're very proud of our culture. So like 
But what, what we realize, you know, just looking at the broader culture of, of, of the universe, like good culture, even good culture evolve, right? So, you know, what we do is every month we, I sit down with our newest hires. So people who's been in the firm for less than a year, and we call this culture plus plus. And the, in the forum is for people to speak up and what they think uh, we should do differently because they're coming in with fresh eyes. And the other thing, the two other things I want to make sure that it happens from this meeting is that the new people, you know, they come in with a passion. And the last thing I want them to hear is someone who's been here for a while and tell them that's just how it's done here. As a new person, after, if you hear that two, three times, your passion is really going to get crushed. And I also want to enable our new people to make sure that they are the change agent, you know. So although they might be reporting to someone who's very senior, but they are the change agent. And, you know, we come up with action items, we write them down, and then the following meetings, we will make sure that we have solved those issues or, or new ideas we have implemented them. And, um, and it will still it'll be on the list until we either implemented them or feel like, you know, it, it doesn't fit our needs anymore. So we, we look at it a slightly different way. No, I, I love that. And it's, um, it's actually, there's is a, a nice bit of similarity. Our ethos is empowering people to succeed, Jim, be it from our internal employees to our external people we work with. And I know that, that it starts from the top, right? I, th- I think people in CEO seats have got an, inc- an incredible responsibility to make sure that there's a lot of listening being heard. We also have something called a future forum like a couple of times a quarter, where we update the whole business off the back of these feedback sessions, as well as all the other good stuff that's happening with charity and culture. Um, uh, these are the things that we've listened, and this is the things that we've done off the back of it. So people really understand that these conversations, it's not just words, but actions are being taken. So um, it, it reminded me, um, so prior to the pandemic, we had we were very big on high fives. Um, I'm personally a huge Tony Robbins fan. And prior, prior to the pandemic, every single... Uh, employee here has joined one of Tony Robbins uh, events. So where the high five came in was when we were six people in the office, one of the team members came in at 1030, um, well, you know, walking into the office. It was a small room. It was a startup, right? And he went to his desk, put on his headphone and started working. And I looked back and I said, wow, we're six people. And he came in and no one acknowledged him. Imagine when we're 30 or 100 people, like we can't have that. That's not the culture we're trying to build. So, so we, we asked people to give high fives to everyone. And everyone at that time was 6, 10, 15 people. So it was very doable. So then when we got to like 30 plus, uh, we just said, hey, high five three people when you come in. Um, so the high five, you know, it accomplished a couple of things. One is the connection. So imagine like you're a new person in the company and you come in first day and it could be a senior person or whomever you, you, you see in the kitchen and you high five them, you know, you need to get your three in. So the connection is an icebreaker. It's an energy boost. You know, have you ever high five someone who's like very tired? If you give them a strong high five, it will really wake up their, their system. So yeah, that's, that's one thing that we did to have people connect with each other and, and we missed that. You know, with the pandemic, we can't do high fives anymore. I agree with you so much that culture is a continually evolving thing that needs due care and attention on a continual basis. You can't go, 
wow, we've nailed the culture. Uh, see one in three months because you can guarantee that things will dip if, if you have that type of approach. But let's talk about that, right? I'm agreeing with you. Physical contact, the engagement with a human being. I love being in the office, walking around and, and, and having that human interaction with people that it really helps to thrive energy. And from energy can come great things, right? You guys can't high five anymore. It's been all, there'll be certainly people in the office that might want to, but there's others that certainly won't do. What have been the biggest challenges and how have you tried to overcome those challenges on making sure that that part of, of a startup culture can still exist even without the high fives? Yeah, I, I think we focus so much on the culture. Like it's, um, it's more than just the high five, like a buddy lunch. Every week there's random, randomly we pick four people and then they go out to lunch together. You know, people from different departments, right? Imagine like you're... DevOps people, you know, like people might only talk to them when there's something wrong that's going on. And that might be like three times a year. So that should not be the the only interaction, you know, two people might have when when something is wrong. Like picking randomly people from different areas of the company to just have lunch together, it's is a big part of it. You know, uh, for, uh, give another example, like when someone's first day, a couple members of the team will go have breakfast with them before they come into the office. So again, it's that warm feeling, like that family feeling versus like just walking into the office. Here's my first day, all, you know, nervous, right? So like, yeah, so we, we do a lot in the company for people to communicate with each other and spend time with each other. Obviously, the social outings that, you know, many, many companies do. Um, so yeah, so despite being able to do high fives, we still feel like one big family. Nice, absolutely. And I think that culture is, is massive. And I think it will be really interesting, maybe to get you back on in a year's time, Jim, when you've done some more growing, some more scaling, because it's a, it certainly feels like a different challenge at 200 now compared to when it did at 100 and, and less than all the rest of it. So, you know, that's an ongoing challenge that we all face, right, as, as leaders in businesses. And um, one of the things I wanted to come back to, because I know that there'll be people listening going, oh, interesting, is how on earth you go about testing the right attitude because technical capability i think there'll be a lot of ideas out there technical tests different approaches different conversations and different people but the right attitude there's some people that are definitely good at and i've seen it and i've i've made some some of some some of the not right hiring decisions over the years they give a great performance in that interview they say the right things they've been prepped they've they've had other interviews so they've they've really refined their answers down how do you guys go about and we don't always get it right, of course not. No one's claiming to have, a, have the perfect uh, the perfect solution. But how do you go about testing the right attitude? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, we, we spend a lot of time on that. And um, uh, just just to be transparent, there, there are a few things that I probably can't share because it's, um, you know, I, th- I think it's very important to our pro- uh, hiring process. But, you know, like I can share one one example. Like we, we give out this uh, handwritten uh, questionnaire before someone come into the office. And a lot of the questions are open-ended. Um, that way you could really, you know, sometimes you might get a one-letter answer, one-word answer when it should be when you ask them to explain. And then some people really would put their time into it and, and really, like, like give, give a lot of insights into their thinking. So, you know, well, I, I think to sum it all, like, we don't believe in just one touch point. Like, to your point, like, people can be very good at um, uh, performing in, in, in certain times. But like if there's multiple touch points that we're very 
consciously uh, looking after, then it's harder to uh, miss. Do you know what, Jim? You're absolutely right. And one of the biggest challenges we've had this year is because we're a graduate-related business, when when you're taking on 5, 10, sometimes 15 people at a time, testing out or across multiple touch points can be tough. And one of the things that we really like as part of the process is a walk around the local area, right? You have a couple of people from the team walk around, have a chat about it, because actually when someone's in a setting that they know they're being tested by, of course the reality is they're going to have their A game. If they think they're walking around just chatting to people, and the reality is we are showing them the local area, but you can highlight bullying people. You can highlight people that don't conduct themselves in the right way. You can um, highlight people that, wow, they've got an interesting way that they carry themselves body language-wise and all this kind of thing. Now, none of these by themselves are a reason to hire or not someone, but the reality is when you sit down and go, huh, how did they score in each of these areas? That's when. So I, li- I like that point there, multiple touch points. And the handwritten thing, Jim, I love that. It's very, very old school, but at the same point, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great way of lots of probably people filling it out. And as you say, you, you've given away that, you, you know, you've given away that, so to speak, but it's a good thing of just being like, yeah, let's, let's see how they get on with something quite basic. Yeah, so, you know, like, um, you know, I, I think it's just exciting chatting with you about these things because we have very similar mindsets. So maybe, maybe I'll share another <laughs> secret, if you will. As you can imagine, right, when you, when you brought up that when someone comes into the office, it really sets the tone for them. That person who's greeting has a lot of information. So you could extract that from them methodically, put that into the process. So if a candidate comes in and how they treat the person in the front would be uh, some data point. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, it was, uh, we definitely had one of those instances early doors. Um, in, 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 we were in the smallest office. There were about six of us in the office. And uh, yeah, so the, the way that someone strode through like he already owned the place and walked to the boardroom, I said to my colleagues, I'm not going to go in there and just in case I, I saw that wrong, but this might be a short conversation <laughs> and actually ended up in a conversation more about, hey, you seem like a guy that wants to go places which way you're here, but the first time you walk in the door to somewhere, you're being watched, you're being looked at, you're being judged against a lot of people in a competitive market. I agree a lot. And actually, sometimes it's nice to be able to help young people, especially in our position as, as graduates, and say, listen, I'm sure you're a great guy, but this is my, what you want to think about from now on. So it is about helping people, even if they're not quite right for you as a business, right? There will be a lot of businesses, especially in your space, Jim, wanting to hire the you know is wanting to hire A class talent, and it'll be really interesting. Again, um, it, it it sounds like it's probably going to be something similar around. There's going to be multiple touch points, but it can be so hard to discern between A class, B class, C class, and trying to see things in between. How do you guys, um, in terms of your decision making, how do you guys go about trying to bring in as many A class people as you can? Yes, no, absolutely. So, like, we we have everyone who have had touch point with the candidate um, sit together and and talk about it because, like, you know, sometimes, like, in their uh, write up, it, it, they might be not saying uh, some s- certain things. So, like, if another member brought it up, then they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, that's right." You know, I I kind of uh, agree with that. So, so yeah, so like that's 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 one way. But also, like, we going back, it's like. For example, sometimes a, a candidate would be extraordinary in a certain area and we might not be testing them um, the right way. So let's just say we might be like, oh, their their statistics is not as strong. But then, wait a minute, he, he's one of the world-class physicists. So like, or, you know, uh, so we have to think of it differently. 
So yes, yeah, so, so that that meeting is very crucial, and and look at the person holistically as well. Um, so people bring different things to the table, not just their technical skills, like their energy. You know, we can't emphasize that enough, especially you know for a firm that you know that is collegial and 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 solve hard problems. Um, the right mindset, grit. Grit is another thing that you know we don't always talk about, but that's so important in not just our industry and in so many industries to determine if they're going to be successful or not. So yeah, so we all we all sit down and really uh, systematically go through the different evaluation points to then look at it holistically and see like how does this person fit into our our organization. Absolutely right, and and one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, and I guess this is a probably a, a, a CEO related question specifically. I've, every now and then for new hires, as well as, I guess, existing positions that you've hired many times before, I've definitely been in a position a few times where you didn't, I didn't realize that we needed that before we saw it in a candidate. And therefore, the spec can change that little bit or the remit can change that little bit to really try and foster the individual strength that that person showing during that process. And you're like, wow, this person could actually have a multifaceted benefit that I didn't even think about before. I guess my question is, have you experienced that before, Jim? And, and then the second question to that is, every now and then, people in, in, that, in, in, in our role, you've every now and then got to make a call that you might have a, the team that are 50-50 on at Canada, or even in some cases, you're in the minority where you're like, listen, I've seen something this individual, I really want this person as part of our team, I'm actually going to go against the consensus here. How does that work in Vatic? Great questions. Um, so, yeah, I, I, to, to your first question of like, have we experienced times where we hire someone and they actually brought something to the table that we didn't expect? Absolutely. And, you know, to give you an example, I mean, I really have the, I was really fortunate enough to work with exceptional managers and um, really understanding what a great manager and great operator the difference between the two uh, was 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 eye opening. So, like after going through experiences where we were kind of shocked by, you know, th- we weren't looking for this, and they brought it to the table. Then, go, you know, again going back to the meta level, like how do we not get shocked? How can we, you know, think about you know all the different areas, you know, in a comprehensive way? Um, so yeah, so we try to get ahead of that game after one or two, t- a few times of. Uh, being shocked so that we could deliberately look for those skill sets. Just in terms of that kind of like that, that kind of like that final decision process, right? Because you mentioned multiple touch points. Is it everyone in the room? Does everyone compile it all together? And then someone looks through all of the evidence and kind of makes a call on that. How, how does that p- final part of the process work? I guess. If it's a, not a good cultural fit, then it's a no. Like um, if anyone has, has picked up some of um, those signs, then, you know, we, we would be very disciplined about that. Um, in terms of like other areas, like, okay, you might not be as strong in the technical skills, but in this area, but someone else see, or I see something else that this person brings to the table. Like I will talk to the team because we do work. We, we really try to build a like partnership like environment and convince them. Right. So like, I mean, we're all, you know, rational people. So like, if we believe in something, let's, let's really, you know, intuition is something that, It'll give you a quick feedback, but if you really think through it, you'll be able to verbalize like, okay, why do I feel that way? So it's that process that, you know, that, that, that we work things out together. 
some of the things, Jim, that I was looking forward to speaking to you about, because I think especially in finance and the technology spaces, there will be a lot of businesses that will be really wanting to attract some of the talent that you guys have from some of the industry's biggest players. So I guess, of course, uh, it will be unique for everyone. But what for you, Jim, when you just stand back and look at, look at it backwards with some of those, you know, as I say, the, um, the talent that you have attracted from, from some of the biggest players, what are the keys to attracting highly respected industry figures into a startup? It's, it's synergy. You know, I think what's very unique about our company is that we have strong expertise both on the high-frequency side and statistical arbitrage. And I think generally people are very curious and they like to learn more. They like to grow. Um, you, know, to, you know, Tony Robbins will say like growth is, is a very important human need. You know, when, when we're not growing, we feel like we're dying. Um, so that uh, resonates with senior folks. You know, I, I was in that position before myself. Um, that's why I, I left and you know started Vatic Labs because you know I, I wanted to grow more at a faster rate, and we provide that, and we provide an environment where it's open and team first. Um, so, um, and that's not always the case in in companies. So, so yeah, so that's very attractive to especially senior folks because. Um, I think many of us have been in a position where like uh, we do well financially and wasn't very satisfying. Um, and that's that's what we provide to uh, especially the senior folk. Yeah, nice. Um, and, and, and AI within HFT, AI within the finance sector, uh, you, you were uniquely placed, Jim, to be able to give us a bit of an insight in relation to is there one particular area or future direction that you're most excited about within within AI within the within the trading space? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the market is still very fragmented. You know, there's still firms that are very good at some firms are very good at futures markets. Some firms are very good at trading options or equities or you know the, in terms of the style, StatArb or HFT. And I think AI will allow us to integrate the marketplace into one big system so yeah so so I'm, I'm very excited about that like like another way of looking at it we always say that oh five years ago or 10 years ago it was so much easier so you know what we try to do is you know look forward five ten years and what today we would say in five ten years that it was so easy today and that's what gets me really excited yeah i like that jim quite a, a unique perspectives as well of course and um, um, just going back to there isn't Many leaders that I've spoken to this year that haven't talked about scarcity of talent being one of the biggest challenges that they face right now. It really has meant that people have, of course, there's agencies such as ourselves that sit in in in, in the uh, in the talent space of people. But it, I, I've heard more and more people and firms doing some fairly radical approaches to trying to find talent from any source, be it you know the globalization of of of, of talent where. It just doesn't matter if people can't come into the office once a month. It doesn't matter if they sit 6,000 miles away, if they've got the quality of what you want and people are doing it. Um, I'm assuming, of course, having had a pre-conversation with you and knowing that uh, finding talent is always a huge huge challenge, but have there been any alternative tactics or investment in youth or kind of, you know, uh, really out out there things that you guys have been trying to try and get around that that, that kind of um, talent scarcity? 
I think scarcity of talent is always there because um, us humans will find ways to use talent. I think the the working from home really helps um, increase your pool of talent. Um, but also, like I, I think the pandemic really helped a firm like us. I feel that a lot more individuals are really, I mean, to to the previous point of like, you know, money, the financial part of the equation, it's not the whole equation. And I think people are realizing that. So um, before, you know, like new grads might be more gravitated towards the bigger firm because, you know, there's this like the the factor of like, you know, oh, it's bigger and it might be better. But I think that that mindset is changing. Um, people want to learn more and they could definitely learn more in a smaller firm and be rewarded, not just financially, but, you know, no politics and with colleagues that are just good people. And I think people are really valuing, valuing that after this pandemic. Absolutely. Um, and aside from the talent, aside from the, uh, attracting the right people, you guys are, are looking to grow. It sounds like it's going to be a really exciting few years for Vatic. What are the aside from talent? What are the biggest challenges facing you as a leader in 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 in, in the coming months and years, Jim? I think as, as we grow, there's always going to be more uh, challenges, and um, you know we, we'll definitely have to be like, be nimble and adaptive and tackle those problems as they come by. I personally worry that like as we grow, how do we keep this collegial environment where? that it just feels like a family. And, and quite frankly, like I asked that question, I, I had that worry when we were eight and 12 people and I really would never imagine, you know, having, you know, close to 40 people today and we have this pristine environment. Um, but I, I really want to, I love it so much that I want to make sure we keep it. So I really think about that a lot. And uh, I'm, I'm with you totally. I think the I think one of the things that I hadn't thought about enough was the importance of stepping back and getting out of the office and doing it with one or two, one or two trusted people, doing it from people outside of the firm and going, huh, this is where we're at. Where are we heading? What things am I not thinking about now that I should be? And actually getting outside. We're right next to the River Thames here in London on the edge of Covent Garden, using the river and all the powerful things that water can do for human beings and going out, grabbing a coffee, having a stroll in the sunshine, getting some fresh air, and going, crikey. Take, you know, I use notes on my phone a lot. We're like, right, that's the things I've got to think about when I get back to the office. Um, and actually stepping back and realizing in that moment, what should I be thinking 12 months ahead? What does the business need from me right now? What does the business need for us? And actually, the your jobs, especially as a CEO, they change so much from zero to 50 to 50 to 100, 100 to 200. And, and as it goes and goes, the challenges in a role changes immeasurably during that time. And I wish that I'd have known a few years ago <laughs> of, of what those challenges would be because I think I would have been better equipped and done my job a bit better than I have done over the years, to, uh, truth be told. Um, is there anything that you'd have wished that you'd have known before, Jim, that you do now? Yes. I, I, I think what I know now is that, you know, this is from one of my mentor, is when you want to do something, instead of thinking how, you think who. That has really um, helped us immensely because it helps scale. It helps, you know, if you find the right who, that person can really, you know, take the baton and run with it versus having a handhold. Jim, it's it's another it's another absolute corker. Um, it empowers. 
it allows people to thrive. It often will result in people doing things in a better way than you would have done yourself. And I think it's one of the toughest things as a founder. You want to be in the mud. You want to be helping. You want to help s- solutions. But And that's good for a while. It has to be that way. But the ability to step back and go, not how, but who. Yes, thank you, Jim. That's an absolute That's an absolute belter that I'm going to take away from this. I'm sure other people will as well. You mentioned, you touched upon it there. And before we get into the final kind of lighthearted questions, Jim, when you're a founder, when it's startup mode, your own development, you're often doing things by learning, falling flat on your face, learning and going again. You mentioned mentors, which is uh, only something that I've started to do in, 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 in recent months. I wish I'd have done it so much sooner. Are there any other ways that you go about, and you mentioned, of course, Tony Robbins as well. Um, are there any additional ways that you go about your own learning and your own development? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, going back to that um, meta-level mindset, emotional intelligence, I think it, it goes back to that, right? Like that's awareness, open-mindedness, et cetera. So I think, I mean, that's something that, you know, we continue to be better at, but that's something that has such powerful effects you know, in so many different areas of our lives will help us make better decisions. Absolutely. Um, right. I, 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 as I promised, a couple of more lighthearted questions now, Jim, just to wrap things up. It's so fascinating to hear from all the different perspectives of the leaders that I speak to, of if they've had a book, uh, the, the, the book they're reading right now, the best book they've ever read or a lasting book, a podcast or movie that you could recommend that you've taken some long lasting learns from? Yes. So for, for my career, the one of the best books were uh, Market Wizards. Um, you know, the stories of these great traders, and it really inspired me to be one of them. Um, for the company, I think one of the biggest impact book was Lean Startup. You know, iterate quickly, learn from our uh, mistakes, and, and move for, far forward. And personally, um, books, there's not just one book, but books on beginner's mind. I think that's very important because... You know, if, if we've always thought how we think in terms of mindset in day one um, or look at things with a fresh mind, I, I think that opens up the world to us. Awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. Some some really great recommendations there and a couple a couple that I hadn't known um, for sure there, Jim. I'm sure other people will be, uh, will be getting started on their Amazon account and getting those, um, and getting those ordered in. Um, final thing, we've touched upon it just a couple of minutes ago the importance of stepping back, the importance of knowing the place you're in right now, and that actually there could be some brand new challenges that you haven't thought of yet. Having the time and space to do that is one of the biggest things that I try and encourage my leaders to do. Please do not be in the office continually. Please do not have a half day or a day planning from home. Please do not not take vacations. You've got to be doing all these things to keep the brain as uh, as, as productive as it can be, but also to see the big picture of, of what you and your business and your team need, as well as you as an individual need right now. It's a great question to ask because in England, there's some great favorite pubs that people have. In America, I've been given some magnificent, you know, um, uh, uh, sky-high restaurants that people love to sit. And you've got three or four hours off, Jim, to do some big out there thinking. Where's your place going to be for that time? Um, for In Manhattan, it's the river. I think, I mean, to your point, like any, anything nature really just grounds us and help us think. Obviously, I also love the mountains and the parks, but but the water is really my that does it for me. It's um, although we don't share industries right now, Jim. Uh, the Walter Mountains for me is also one of those things that I uh, I find myself drawn to enormously. And even just a day or two, you get away, you get down to the coast for the weekend. 
you come back feeling that much more replenished. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you're a kind of fellow walker. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly, yeah, I, I agree with you uh, a, a lot there. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your journey in leadership loans with us today. I'm sure there's lots that resonate with the listeners and like me, they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Thanks everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Jim, thanks so much and have a good day.